Hi guys, it's Mike coming to you live from the future. Uh, okay, not the actual future, but the future in relation to when this episode was recorded. So this entire series was recorded at the very start of 2020. And while both Dougie and I were very aware of the coronavirus situation and were watching it quite closely, actually, we chose not to mention it at the time. Now, things have changed dramatically since then, and it might feel a little bit weird to listen to an episode in today's climate that doesn't mention it whatsoever, but we wanted to still put the episode out there because it's about anxiety. It's got a lot of helpful tools in there for um, you and everyone else who's, we're all going to be going through it right now, okay? So if you know someone else that could benefit from this, send the episode along to them. And you know what? Let's just have a bit of fun. Let's keep things light and let's help one another. That's the whole point of this podcast. Thanks for joining us. How many people are going to be thinking, oh, he tripped up on that step. Oh, what yeah. a loser. Yeah, the, the, the world doesn't revolve around you. Well, it doesn't. No. It doesn't exactly. Um, and CF that episode. Yeah, that's this episode. Oh, it is this episode. <laughs> well, there we go. It exists completely germane. everyone and welcome back to secular buddhism for skeptical atheists this is the show for people of all religious backgrounds who just want to take aspects of modern day buddhism and apply them to their own real life for real benefits <laughs> how does that sound that yeah, sounds perfect all right great my name is mike hoffman and i am joined by dougie robertson excellent right on cue how are you doing i'm doing very well doing okay very well. dougie how was 2019 for you i mean 2019 for me was it ended up being defined by my birthday. Okay, right. Um, big birthday. Well, it was my 30th birthday, hmm. which uh, it turns out is a big birthday. I hadn't really set much store by that. But so what? My birthday's in June. And by, you know, the middle of May, people start noticing it's your birthday coming up soon. And then they realize that it's your 30th birthday. And they start going, ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, a big one. Ooh, what are you going to do? Uh, ooh. Have you got any big, big plans? Yeah. Um, Did you achieve much in your 20s? Well, exactly. <laughs> um, but the amount of the mounting pressure of all these people asking me to really reflect on what I'd achieved and what I hadn't achieved and, mm. and what I was going to achieve in the next 10 years, oh, after God. which I would be 40, uh, <laughs> you know, that it, it all just became a bit much. I found myself, yeah, ruminating about, about the fact I was turning 30. People listening to this can see that the episode title is called Something Something Anxiety, right? Yes. So um, did you find that you were getting into an anxious state as a result of what other people were getting at you about? I would say definitely initially. But the amount of pressure of all those people expecting you to have a really detailed answer about mm-hmm. about what you've achieved and and that the way your mind just goes over and over the fact that you're turning 30 in your life is gradually moving forward and ebbing away ah um, mind going over and over rumination rumination exactly okay. let's exactly. put that in the parking lot i ask because my 2019 was pretty bad as far as years go in my personal life mm. so i had about three months of the worst work experience that i've ever had there was a death in the family and there was a significant breakup in my life there were further work-based issues all of those on their own some are bigger some are less important in the grand scheme of things but as a constant chain of events it started to become something quite overwhelming Mm. and i found myself as a relatively non-anxious person 
day to day under the weight of so many things happening in a short space of time becoming an anxious person Mm. and so i'm curious what anxiety feels like to you physically mentally what that conjures up for me is a state of mind in which it's it's racing away with me really but if i've got something maybe something that i know is going to happen at work then that can sort of eclipse everything else and go again round and round in my head and make it quite hard to focus on anything else including Mm -hmm. the things that are happening right in front of me things i'm trying to do Mm. so it kind of is characterized and probably also caused by a lack of space inside your head a lack of ability to take a step back and sort through everything that's going on you feel like you're in the middle of a a storm of thoughts Mm. for me anxiety feels like uh there, there are two types so there's the more immediate adrenaline type and that if I feel like I have a lot of tasks building up at work or it could happen in my, in my personal life. It could be that I'm worried and going over and over in my head about something that I've mm. said after a couple of drinks at a party a couple oh. of nights prior. So that feeling in that very immediate scenario is the kind of almost high blood pressure type feeling, very mm. adrenaline based. You, you shallower breathing Mm. higher heart rate maybe a bit sweaty maybe a bit sweaty yeah definitely and then are you familiar do you ever get just a sort of general sense of impending doom maybe not for a long time but it is something i have experienced yes well i get that feeling when i'm worrying about things slightly more money is a big one Mm. if Mm. i am worried that my finances are not looking great or Calling back to a previous episode, I talked about being unsettled about the fact that I don't know at certain points in time what I'm doing with my life and feeling Mm -hmm. like I need to change and not being at peace with that. All of those things give me this general sense that I just can't quite put my finger on Mm. that tells me, oh, everything could go wrong now. So those those are my two different experiences. One very sudden and immediate and, (gasps) and one very kind of, oh, God... Which, by the way, I also get that one when I'm coming down off caffeine, if I'm trying to oh, reduce my, my intake. Interesting. So I think part of it is very chemical. Mm. But what I'd like to talk about in this episode today is how to apply some of our uh, Buddhist techniques and deal with anxiety, managing the symptoms and also changing our outlook. Because we have more control than we realize, right? Yes, exactly. So you bring up control, and that's an interesting one because... Having a sense of control and agency in the world is can be quite calming and quite reassuring and empowering. Yeah, I think we like. I think part of us quite likes feeling that we are in control. Definitely, I think that. Um, but at the same time, when you flip that on its head, if you find that you're always calmed by being in control, then that way madness lies, right? Yeah. Uh, well, potentially, if you take that control away, then. Then what are you left with? Do you, if control is what you're telling yourself is going to keep you happy and calm, do you then have the ability to be happy and calm if things change and you're no longer fully in control? Discuss. You, we all know that life happens. I mean, what happened to you today? Oh my god! So this will sound really. So today, I I planned my day very. I timetabled my day really today. So I knew we were going to be recording this afternoon. And I also knew that I hadn't made any notes. So I, t- <laughs> so I timetabled, I would have a shower and have my lunch. And then I would come here and be on time. Mm. And so I arrived at my shower in my flat and I tried to turn it on and it didn't 
work. Specifically, <laughs> the bath came on, not the shower. Uh, and I pulled the knob and then the knob came off in my hands. And I was like, this isn't great. So I <laughs> immediately went into a complete meltdown, having spent about four hours reading about Buddhism. Uh, <laughs> um, and it took me a long time to adapt my approach. You know, I had spent so long that for a long time, I was not able to make that jump to well, you don't have a shower, but you do have a working bath. Mm -hmm. So let's, you know, let's be creative here and have mm -hmm. a sort of splashy bath is what happened in the end. Right. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't great, but it was better than nothing. I th I'm sure you'll appreciate it in a small room for five hours. Yeah. So, so ultimately, I was able to navigate it. But the thing about this acceptance point, which I sometimes have to remind myself of, is there is a balance. So we're not saying that it's important to passively accept every single thing. It's mm. not about this sort of passive... Yeah, you're not going to go, okay, well, my shower is screwed now, so exactly. I guess I'm just never showering again. Exactly, exactly. My whole world is destroyed, and that's mm. that's just how it is. And also, presumably, when you first discovered it was broken, you, weren't, you didn't just then... It wasn't walking around screaming in your flat which is what i'm assuming then happened right well there was right? it was yeah I, it got to that no. point but, uh, but yeah i'm i'm guessing you there was a period of investigation yeah where to i desperately it. tried to screw the thing back on yeah but on acceptance acceptance is the first step so if you want to change something the, the thing that allowed me to have a bath was accepting that i wasn't going to have a shower i could have spent half an hour trying to fix that shower and failing mm-hmm and that would have been an impediment to my moving on and an affecting change. Look, I think that that's a great example. I'm, I feel conscious that people listening might think that that's quite trivial in the grand yeah. scheme of things yeah, because people get anxious because they, you know, different things going on in their life that it's a lot to keep on top of. Yes, definitely. But I do think that what you're talking about extrapolates out. So in this, in the example that I was giving where it was individual things in a series that if they'd happened on their own i might have been able to deal with but because it was one after the other mm. um i just didn't have any mental energy to do that step back and kind of take mm. stock of what the situation is that same rule of acceptance and dealing with the scenario uh, still applies yes one of my examples was the change in family dynamic that was going to result from this loss in our family. Uh, but actually, it's probably more accurately described as my perception of or my worries about the potential change in family dynamic mm. that was going to come from from that. Um, it took me quite some time to get to the point where I could actually step back and start unpicking why I was unhappy about that situation mm. starting to recognize that um there was something going on in my head relating to the family dynamic and not just specifically mm. the loss in the family mm. i found as soon as i started to deal with that and understand what specifically it was that i had to come to terms with regardless of how i was going to come to terms with it mm. immediately just making that recognition helped me start unpicking what the anxiety was around everything else mm. that I was dealing with. As much as the actual loss was causing you pain, everything you're thinking about this loss is just causing you more pain. We're only human. We only have a certain capacity to deal with things. Mm. And when a lot gets on top of us, there becomes a point where we're just limited in how much we can work through by ourselves. And it, in some cases, really can become... A matter of trying to keep all the plates spinning, but deal, fi just finding one that you can deal with and working through that. 
And in both of these scenarios, the shower breaking or this big pileup of human emotion, that key really is the acceptance, which brings us all the way back to our four noble truths. First noble truth is that suffering exists. Yeah. The the truth of suffering is that exists. You're always going to come up against situations that are not good. Yes. Um, But dig into that list as we have done and you find that if you can accept that these things happen rather than fighting against them, yeah, you're going to be able to deal with things eventually in your own way. But that bar- that lack of acceptance is your barrier to be yes. able to start dealing with them. It's that second noble truth, right? The cause of suffering, not being able to see the world as it actually, actually is in front of you. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about rumination and your thoughts on thoughts, as it were. Rumination is interesting because I think as soon as you realize that you're ruminating, you're already on a path to be able to stop ruminating or at least questioning whether all your ruminations are necessarily true. Could we be a bit more specific on the definition of ruminating? Rumination is a thought that repeats itself over and over again. Yeah. We believe them, we don't question them, and they cement themselves because they repeat over and over and over again in our in our heads Mm -hmm. and specifically it has a particularly negative connotation so if you're ruminating on something you're not likely to be going oh this is amazing this is amazing and then three weeks later going oh this thought is still amazing it's it's, so great yeah um it's often associated with worrying with with anxious thoughts with negative mm -hmm. thoughts about yourself you know i heard in a podcast recently that we experience dopamine from happy thoughts for about one quarter to one fortieth of the length of time as we experience cortisol stress hormone from negative thoughts i can believe that definitely i mean there's science behind that right they call it the negativity bias or the negative bias yeah tell us about that so the idea is that there's an evolutionary advantage to focusing on negative things Hmm. so Uh, Paying attention to bad things is basically how you survive. You know, if there's something over there that looks dodgy, some animal with big teeth, you're going to pay a lot of attention to that and you're going to probably try and stay away from that, try Mm. and get away with that. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you survive. You pass on your genes. If you're walking through a field and you see a beautiful flower, it's really lovely. There's no evolutionary advantage to that. It's great. It's a flower. But that's sort of, that's where it starts and ends. Okay. You're not more likely to pass on your genes because you've noticed that that flower well uh, if you put if you put two two items of importance in passing on your genes right yes you have the existential threat of a predator yeah. approaching you mm-hmm. and you have the existential potential of a mate also mm. approaching you at roughly the same speed okay from yes. the opposite direction let's mm. say mm-hmm. and although the act of the caveman uh, getting it on with the cave lady uh-huh. uh, is going to, and nobody's to say which one of, of which is the one that's making the approach. By of the course, way, you know we're course. neutral here. Yeah, uh, that is the act that is going to lead to the passing on of the genes. Yeah, the cave person that chooses to prioritize that one is leaving themselves open to the negative event happening because that predator is very much approaching them. Yes. And so that's what you're saying. There's yes. an advantage to... Because that'd be very final if the predator arrives and the predator 
eats them all. Whatever yeah. It does. So it makes sense in that context to prioritize dealing with the negative thing, thinking about the yes. negative thing first. Yes. And then if you extrapolate that over thousands of years of evolution, well, more than thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, Ooh. then we're more likely, you know, all the people who survive are people with that, that appreciation of the negative. Mm. And so um, I won't read out lots of scientific surveys, but I've just got a couple of examples that I think are quite interesting and may resonate. Ooh, so I would put it. it to you that we recall insults better than praise. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we think about negative things more frequently than positive ones. We're more likely to ruminate on negative than positive things. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah. Something else that made me think, and I'm sure it's true. It's in a scientific study. Um, which I'm sure are always accurate. Uh, but it said that negative news is more likely to be perceived as truthful, mm. which I found quite sad. But I sort of understand it. Mm -hmm. I'm probably more like, if I'm watching the news and something there's something negative on the news, I, am, I, will, I probably am more likely to believe that. Can we overcome this, Michael? Are we, are we doomed to always focus on the negative? Evolutionarily? Potentially. Yes. Oh dear. But let me tell you about a meta-analysis or a review of scientific literature brings together a bunch of different research papers and tries to find links between them all and proof that they're not just kind of one-off random good examples. It talks about rumination-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. So quite often in traditional CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is something that you may be referred to by your doctor or by your therapist, what the abstract of this study says, and I'll put the link in the show notes, is rather than modifying thought content, which uh, is a typical focus of cognitive behavioral therapy, that, that involves um, sort of displacing the negative thought and replacing it with, well, actually, uh, this good thing happened, so I'm not going to focus on the bad thing to really grossly oversimplify. Uh, Rumination-focused therapy focuses on changing thought processes. So taking that unconstructive rumination, going back over the negative thought and decreasing your tendency to want to just think about that and then avoid it and move away and not really deal with it and then think about it again but then move away and not deal with it to facing it head on and changing your perspective on it. Basically taking what I would call a very Buddhist approach of acceptance and learning to come to terms with this negative thing, perhaps identifying why it is a negative thing to you. Mm. And in that, dealing with it and closing it off so that it doesn't, or dealing with it and accepting that it's part of you mm. so that it doesn't become a daily ritual. So the thing I thought was really interesting about this study is that part of what this approach involves is actually decreasing the avoidance of the thing that you're ruminating on, mm. but, some, but in a positive way, which I quite liked. Mm -hmm. And the, the study finds that, um, that this type of therapy leads to decreases in depression and lower relapse rates compared to antidepressant medication. And that makes sense to me because... So if you're if you're just treating the uh, symptom that sits on the surface, so the negative feeling of this anxiety, it's still sitting in there waiting to come back up to the surface. Mm. You just end up in this vicious cycle of this thought comes up. Oh, I'm going to think about it a lot. So let's put it away in a box mm -hmm. and then but it's still in the box and eventually the box will open and you have to do the whole thing again. Yeah. And that that could just that could be an eternal process. Whereas if you 
take positive steps to deal with it mm. and to change that rumination into something proactive mm. and f- coming to some sort of conclusion about yeah. that negative thought, then that gives it less chance to resurface because when it does resurface, you already have a different perspective on it. Yeah. So we've also talked previously about control and the amount of stress and anxiety that can come from um, feeling like you're wanting to feel like you're in control of yes. your situation. Yeah. Which is very resonant with me. Actually, one of my favorite reports from my primary school years, at the end in the little summary notes, uh, my teacher says, Douglas is a worrier. Wow. (laughs) What were you worrying about at the time? I mean, I I would worry about everything. I remember the turn of the millennium. I was incredibly stressed because I was at a millennium party and all I could think about was the fact that my drawer in my classroom was jammed. And I had no idea how I was going to resolve this. Oh, wow. I was, how I was old a, were you? 12? I, no, no. I would have been... I must have been 11 or 12. Yeah. Um, and I was catastrophizing. You know, this drawer was <laughs> shut and all my things were in it. And how on earth was I ever going to... And it was this endless spiral that you obviously went on You didn't have free for, and ready access to your drawer. No, because it, it was the holidays. <laughs> it was the holidays. And... And I couldn't open it. So so eventually my mum went in with me on the first day because I was sort of, I was distraught. And then obviously she slid a ruler under the top of the drawer and it all opened and it was all fine. <laughs> but I remember, I know that sounds, it sounds so banal, but at that time I was so worried about it. And it was because I was something of a perfectionist, I think. I just, I would, I had this, I had a very precise vision of everything that I was supposed to be doing and everything that the, the world around me, yeah. a way the world was supposed to be in a, a shape of the world that I wanted the world to sort of comply with. Well, so let me tell you about the perfectionism cognition theory. Uh, so this is the idea, they've got three central themes. I'm basically reading from the thing here that I will also put in the show notes so that people mm-hmm. have access to it. Uh, number one, that both self-oriented perfectionism and socially prescribed perfectionism are correlated with rumination uh, and worry. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. whether it's because you yourself feel that you need to have control of everything and be perfect, or you feel that other people are expecting you to be perfect, whether that's teachers, pushy parents, um, you know, mm-hmm. work colleagues, whatever that is, the higher aspect you have of that in life the more you are going to ruminate on the bad things that happen so the the bigger impact Mm. there is of a negative scenario on your psyche yes i can i can believe that that is my experience okay um number two perfectionists are more likely to suffer from interrelated forms of cognitive preservation so avoidance yeah self-preservation lack of acceptance when they are in a bad situation Yes, which, as we know from our from our journey here, uh, can make it harder to come to a peaceful conclusion and move on mm. in a bad situation. Especially around fa- for me, especially around failure or something I perceive to have been a failure. Mm-hmm. Number three point in this theory is that rumination and worry are important variables that contribute to vulnerability to emotional distress and physical illness. That third one's quite interesting, right? Physical illness. Like the vulnerability and emotional distress to me is very intuitive. Mm. But the fact that worrying, you can worry yourself so much that you get physically ill. Yeah, worry yourself sick. I mean, it's a phrase yeah. for a reason. Yeah. yeah. But it's true. I mean, anxiety, stress, these are these are physical illnesses. For a lot of people, you can get to the point where either your adrenal system, so that 
the the hormonal system that regulates your adrenaline, your cortisol, all that stuff is running so hot all the time that you're physically exhausted. Mm. You might be nauseated. You might be sick all over the kitchen floor. It really does have a strong effect on people. Um, this study that we're talking about here took those three aspects of the perfectionism cognition theory and analyzed uh, different experiments carried out to validate these hypotheses basically so i suppose at the core of it it's highlighting this this way that worry and rumination so what we're thinking but this specific type of thought that we're having repeatedly having contribute to your distress and not only emotional distress but physical distress Mm -hmm. as well and it's a vicious cycle because what this study has found is that the higher the amount of rumination the higher the um likelihood is that the person is going to try and be perfectionist next time and then as we know that has a heavy impact again on whether they're going to ruminate following that yeah so which in uh, like on the surface of it sounds quite a stressful vicious cycle i mean how do we how do we break out of that yeah um it's a tough one so why don't we talk about methods for dealing with anxiety Mm. caveating that firstly this is not for diagnosed clinical anxious or stress disorders yeah that's that's important yep if this is a directly health related issue talk to your doctor about it but yeah based on either personal experience and also from your learnings and understanding of buddhism what do you tend to do when you you're faced with one of these situations the thing about ruminating is that rumination is just a thought in a way yeah and that's a big just it is a big just the thoughts are powerful thoughts Thoughts end up doing a lot Try not to think just for five seconds. Try not to think now. <laughs> try not, you know what? Try not to think about elephants for five seconds oh now. Oh, God, you've done it now. Asking yourself not to ruminate is impossible. You can't not ruminate, but well, you can't not think, but you can choose to watch yourself think rather than mm-hmm. just think. Okay, so be mindful, take a step back yes. behind the eyes. Which yeah. maybe still sounds a bit abstract. But if you can't do that, if you can't do that, if you can't completely disengage with your thoughts, mm-hmm. just think about why you believe them. How do we know? You know, for example, if we're ruminating about the example you said, everyone thinks I'm ridiculous because I tripped up when I was going up the podium. Yeah. How many people do you think three weeks later in reality, if you really think about it, how many people are going to be thinking, oh, he tripped up on that step. Oh, what yeah. a loser. Yeah. The the. The world doesn't revolve around you. Well, it doesn't. No. It doesn't exactly. Um, and CF that episode. Yeah, that's this episode. Oh, it is this episode. <laughs> well, there we go. It exists completely germane. Um, and it took us a while to get to that point, but there it is. The world does not revolve around you. And that, you know, people reading that might think that that sounds a little bit harsh i actually worried myself when i was coming up with the titles for all Mm. these episodes that it was going to be a little bit uh, tough to take tough to present but really it's a very liberating thought once you learn to settle into it and so that's our that's our first method of dealing with anxiety because so much of it comes from that whole ego situation our perceptions of ourselves and wanting other people to also perceive us that way yeah it's what um, john kabat-zinn calls the story of me mm, starring me yeah <laughs> and everyone else is just this sort of player in this this movie of our lives mm-hmm. just sort of carries on around us but the truth is but the truth is that the star of the story is you only in your own head yes you're not the star of anyone else's story 
if you're lucky, you may be uh, a, a co-lead. A, <laughs> well, or a supporting pro- role. Probably not even a, a co-lead, but a, a very prominent feature in the stories of those closest to you, family, uh, long-term partners, that sort of thing. But you can guarantee that no one on this earth is spending time ruminating over the things that you've done that you're just having regular anxieties over day to day the way that you are. Yes. Method number one really ties back to that first main episode that we spoke about, letting go of the ego, getting over yourself a little bit. You will free yourself of so much anxiety if you just remember that you're not quite as important in the story of other people's lives as you think you are. And that's not a bad thing. No. It's quite liberating. Another aspect that you were talking about there when you spoke about how you deal with anxiety Mm -hmm. was taking a step back to understand why it is that you're anxious about something. Like what's actually sitting at the root. The root cause, yeah. Yeah. That's quite hard. Yes. Oh, yes. It it can take a very, very long time. Sometimes years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's there's specific training for that. There's uh, meditation features heavily in that. But that's a whole other episode and we will Mm. get to that. I want to share a personal tool that I use to make the complicated things in my head start to make sense and that's journaling ah so do you do any kind of journaling do you write i for yourself i have phases where i've done it okay i've had phases where i've done it but i'm not a daily journaler it's not regardless of how my life is i journal when you do it is there a a stated reason for why you're doing it well that's i know that i need to do it and it's very cathartic when i do it okay but i've never really i've never really investigated why that is what I like about journaling and the reason that I recommend it to listeners of this podcast is that it forces you to untangle the thoughts in your head and to because when you're saying there, oh, it helps me to deal with anxiety by identifying the root cause of that anxious thought when it's just bouncing around inside your head i kind of i liken it to like a a squash court or a racquetball court you know that that bouncy ball Mm. is there's just one of them but it's bouncing everywhere and it is making a hell of a lot of noise it's not until you open the door and the ball bounces out and things quiet down a little bit in there and you can stop you can start to see things for how they really are because things Mm. are a bit more calm Mm. and the ball has probably had less room to bounce around so it's just now rolling somewhere. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I'm quite an external processor. Like I find the biggest relief from the worries in my head by talking to other people. Yes, that's, yeah, I would say I'm the same. Okay, and do you, have you put any thought to why that gives you so much relief? When I'm talking to someone about something that's causing me proper anxiety and it's the sort of this eclipsing thought that i just need to express yeah for me sometimes i'm not completely aware of the full structure of that thought Mm, exactly i'm i know it's there and i know i want to talk to someone about it but i have often been in scenarios in more stressful periods of my life where i've been speaking to someone and i've said something Mm -hmm. and it's a thought that i didn't realize i was having Mm -hmm. at all okay and it's it gives you pause because you think, oh, that was in my head. That's yeah. interesting. Let's have a look at that. Yeah. It forces you to apply at least enough logic to what's going on in your brain that someone else will understand it. But when you're describing something out loud to someone, you hear it in your own words and you start to realize mm-hmm. if you're kind of making a big deal of something that is not actually such a big deal. And you can still qualify that mm-hmm. and say, look, I know this is 
doesn't sound like a big deal, but I'm going through it because mm. of this thing. Yes. So, you know, it, it feels like a lot. Um, and journaling is the same thing. Mm. Journaling is something that I try to do daily, and it really is a process of writing literally the first thing that, that comes to my head mm. um, with the understanding that I'm trying to focus on dealing with things that are bothering me. So okay. I'm not trying to like write about the news if that's <laughs> like the last thing that I just heard about. Unless it's 10 pages know, on Brexit. <laughs> unless it's, uh, you want to see my dossier? Um, <laughs> unless it's something that's particularly causing me personal stress or anxiety. Mm. But so I deal with my anxiety by writing three pages a day and that's quite a lot a4 a4 a or okay. american letter size so um if i'm even if i'm writing extremely quickly that takes around 30 minutes so that's a big ask for someone but if you write one a4 or slash letter side of paper that is quite often enough for you to get a basic idea down and the first few words sentences that you write might be just clearing out the gutter and and not really knowing especially when when you're new to this not really knowing what it is that that is bothering you or trying to um trying to work through but before long you'll start to center on what's i can ramble on at the beginning okay settle on something that has been troubling with me yeah troubling me so i do try and start the session by thinking okay what's been on my mind in the last day okay what's troubling me either just as a little minor anxiety or on an existential level Mm. and then gives me enough space to then get down to some part of the root of what it is Mm. and it really is like having that conversation with a friend but instead i'm giving myself a good talking to basically does that is that a similar structure you use when you journal yeah i would say so i would say i i I probably haven't done that first bit. Right. I've, if if I were to read back most of my journaling entries, the first five to ten lines are me going, well, I don't quite know what I'm going to write about, but I guess <laughs> I'm going to keep writing until something comes out or it hasn't come out yet. But, you know, by the end of the first page, then it's it it comes out. It comes out. And yeah. that's like train of thought like that genuinely does work. And if people are listening, thinking uh, I'm going to feel awkward if I sit down and I'm just writing out i mean there you go you've heard an example from someone yes it won't always be publishable yeah (laughs) that that literally you can go through that and still get to a point where uh the real thoughts the real truth is Mm. is coming out are you doing it in the morning or the evening out of interest i do it in the morning Mm. um the vast majority of the time okay I if I'm doing well with holding myself accountable because I haven't done it I will do it in the evening mm. uh, but I don't do that for any I don't do that for any particular reason around oh when you first thing in the morning is when your ego is least active yeah. or whatever oh, I you know that that, okay. that to me can be a barrier so do you ever show them to anybody only so far in the context of sharing with someone what a journal page might look like Uh, okay okay i understand i will find something relatively innocuous Mm. but show my thought process yes and my my thought process looks like here's the problem 
here's why it's actually a problem for me. Okay, mm-hmm. off the back of that, here's why it's actually less of a problem than I think it is because reading yeah. back what I just wrote, it's yeah. not actually that big a deal. And then at the at the bottom, here's what I'm going to do about it. Mm. So I just want to break this down into practical steps for someone that is attempting journaling for the first time. If it helps you set a habit, choose a time of day or a part of your day. So either directly before breakfast or directly after on your lunch break, maybe when you get home from work, before you get ready for bed, mm. whenever that is, that just because it'll help you set a rhythm in that. So choose one time and just be consistent doing it at that time, unless it turns out that time doesn't work for you at all, in which case change it. Yeah, yeah, that was the great, okay, yeah. great non-committal advice there. But no, kind of uh, choose choose a time because it'll help you anchor and help you remember. But if you miss that time or say it's a later time in the day that you've chosen you know you're Mm. not going to be able to do that just do it at a different time don't Mm. don't be so strict on yourself that you just beat yourself up but then also fall out of the habit just because you missed it oh i didn't do it in the morning so i'm not going to do it now i've already failed you don't need to be all or nothing about it do that all the time if you're pushed for time start with just one page one a4 side okay because you're going to have limited space in that A4 side, take a second just before you start writing. Don't take too long, but take a second to come up with something that has been troubling you in the last day. And it might be a very general feeling. It might be like, oh, oh mm, my children. Or, <laughs> <coughs> sorry, I really <laughs> I really choked up there when it, there's clearly something going on in my head about Broody my children. Day for you, Michael. Yeah. Um, but, uh, or it might be something very specific, like I didn't like the way that I spoke to someone yesterday after they spoke to me a certain way. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay. So just so you've got seed of a thought mm. and then start writing about it. Start writing about what troubled you or troubles you about it. Um, you probably have space on the page for three to four large paragraphs. Okay. By about halfway through, be thinking about why it is that that thing troubled you. So not just the actual feeling that you went through, but where is that coming from inside yourself? Which part of the ego is being def- uh, offended? And towards the end, if it leads you there in a natural way, let yourself start exploring what you can do next time or how you can change right now the way that you're thinking about that mm. so that it's not such an issue for you going forward. Mm. So there is a sort of conclusion at the end often. Yeah, I mean, that's the way that it happens for me. Mm. Uh, quite often, um, I think that happens for other people as well. But Everyone is different. Mm. Everyone has their own way of doing things. And if you don't get to a conclusion on that particular day, mm. then either pick it up another time, because the goal here is to start working through your own backlog of, of worries, mm. um, or carry on for a little bit longer. So once you've been doing this for a little while, something you can experiment with, and it's particularly useful when you're having when you're in the midst of a challenging time in life is give yourself a few more pages, give yourself up to three pages to give mm. you the ideas really room to breathe and just keep writing and writing until you don't need to have cured yourself. Mm, okay. and you don't need to have figured out the answers to everything, but give yourself the chance to actually articulate it all mm. in words that you can understand. Cause whether you solve it there and then or not, you then have enough structure to give you the ammunition to go away and try and solve it yeah it sounds as though you're someone who employs both this technique and also the technique of having discussions with friends kind of unpacking your own thoughts with good friends both of those techniques seem to work for you is that fair yeah they're both 
forms of mindfulness, mm. basically. So when you were talking about talking with friends and, and and exploring your own thoughts with friends, you mentioned how sometimes you find yourself saying something and then you feel an urge to kind of qualify what you're saying. You know, I've had this thought, but actually I know it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> Does that pressure disappear when you're journaling? Are you Do you feel more able to completely express the thought as you're truly experiencing it without... Because there's an element of self-judgment coming in there, right? When you're talking about it with someone. Does that go away when you start journaling in this very intimate, private way? Well, what I think it's important to do is not to self-judge in the manner of belittling the way that you feel about something. Mm. So when I'm when I say you're qualifying it when talking to your friend, it's not saying now I know that that well there there might be some things where you're saying oh now listen I know that this sounds crazy but uh, I'm going to tell you but it's not you're in saying that you're not going you're not thinking oh my god I am actually crazy right right you're right. just very being very honest with yourself and your friend or you know the piece of paper in front of you that this is literally what you're going through. Mm. But it's that sense of putting it out there into the world um, to for your friend to compare with their own problems or their own perspective in life yeah. or for you to just see it on the written page and recognize it in the context of the bigger picture of what's going on in the world mm. that lets you say, not this is invalid because you're still going through it. Mm, sure. But maybe this should have less of an impact on me than I'm allowing it to have right now. Well, that's quite an insight, I suppose. That's quite a nice insight. And like I say, that's mindfulness. That is, whether it's talking to friends or journaling, that is not just experiencing the feeling, but starting to think and talk and write about what it's like to experience that feeling. Yes. So that you can understand why it feels a certain way when you experience that feeling. Mm, that and that's journaling. Mm. Maybe I'll start doing it again. Yeah. So having talked about acceptance and having talked about journaling and talking to friends, um, what are some of the takeaways? So I would say if you're, if you're like me and you're a ruminator, the first thing to do is, is acknowledge that, I think, uh, and be aware of that. It's definitely something I've become aware of. Right. It's something I'm very prone to do. Mm -hmm. Accept that. Yeah, because if you don't accept it, you can't then, you're not armed to deal with it. Well, exactly. Because the alternative is denial. Yes, which, trust me, does not work. Mm -hmm. You'll just ruminate, you'll just find it more confusing. <laughs> but once you've accepted that, then you, you actually have everything you need. All you then need is practice at stepping away from that rumination and thinking about your thoughts and why am I ruminating? Why am I obsessing over this? Is this thought true? You know, it's been three weeks. I tripped up. Uh, is anyone else thinking about this apart from me? Probably not. We're not the center of anyone else's universe. And I know there's a lot of, there are a lot of other things around anxiety and everyone's different and different things work for different people. And it's taken a lot of experimentation for me to work out that that for me is, is a really useful process. Mm -hmm. If there are more monumental life events happening, you know, not just a shower misbehaving, mm -hmm. then talking to people about it does help me quite a lot. Yeah. For the little things, come to accept that the world doesn't revolve around you. And you can probably, the majority of, of us in life here can let go of a lot of anxiety by yeah. just accepting that. Yeah. Don't sweat the small stuff. The things that you're worrying about, people thinking about you, they there's a good chance they don't even have the time to be thinking those things about you. Mm. So that's number one for the little things. And then, like you said, number two for the big things, take some time to talk about it with a friend or write about it, 
preferably both. And if you can get into that habit of daily journaling, then you can A, deal with that anxiety, but B, once you've worked through your backlog, because and trust me, if this is not something you're in active practice of, probably you have quite a large backlog of stuff that troubles you on a daily basis or a weekly basis that you're not fully consciously aware of. You can get through that to the other side and start working on actually improving your life over time. Mm. Can I can I just mention my mother's tea towel, one of my mum's favorite tea towels um, at this point? <laughs> I was hoping you would. So it's called the Serenity Prayer. It's been popularized by 12-step programs, and it simply goes, Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Which I think actually does tie in quite nicely to everything we've been talking about. Yeah. And so was that on your mother's tea towel? Is yeah, that she had this, okay. tea, this She had this tea towel, yes. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, left I should that call, detail dangling did, there yeah. on. So she had a tea towel. She has a tea towel um, onto which this is emblazoned. You can't quite read it anymore. Okay. But it is still there. Well, life is in a constant state of change. It is. It is. So to tie all of this back into Buddhism for the final time, these are all aspects of mindfulness. Uh, anxiety often comes from being overwhelmed by the thoughts in our own head and not being able to take the step back and recognize those thoughts, actually mm. see ourselves experiencing them. Mm. And so meditation is a huge part of building up the strength to do that. We'll talk about that in the next episode. So I hope that you're all subscribed and listening in. But in the meantime, on a practical level, talk to people, write to yourself. I hugely recommend journaling. And Give yourself a break. Remind yourself the world does not revolve around you. And that is not a bad thing. It's so freeing. Mm. So that's it. There you go. Anxiety. Solved forever. So solved. If anyone wants to get into contact with us about this episode or any of the others in this mini-series, you can contact me on all of the social medias at OMG Mike Hoffman. So my handle is just D0UG7A5, which if you write it down, you'll realize spells Douglas, but with some numbers. And just a reminder, we're going to do a question and answer episode at the end of this series. Oh, I'm excited about that one. Yeah, so do send in your questions to us, whether it's about Buddhism, uh, living in a modern world, uh, or the making of a podcast, Mm. whatever it is, we'll be happy to lend our thoughts and brains. Okay, I hope that's been helpful to someone out there. See you next time. (laughs) See you next time. See you next time. Bye-bye.